Fran fam, what's going on? Listen, before we start this podcast episode, I have a very, very small favor to ask of each and every single one of you guys. I appreciate the support that all of you have been showing for the podcast up until this point, but we want to try and get these episodes out to as many people as possible. And how we do that on the audio side is by leaving a review and dropping a five-star rating. So if you've been a consistent listener of the pod, please, before we get this episode started, it only takes a couple of seconds, leave a review. It could be a two-word, three-word, four-word review or just leave a rating do something to get the word out so that we can get the marvin francois show to more listeners moving forward outside of that love you guys appreciate the support but without further ado let's get into this episode number one i look at cash flow some people teach um you know got to be a certain percentage of the, the average repair value but i said no you gotta look at the cash flow first because you could be buying or looking in a, a flipping area and flipping area you could make money from the cash out but it's not going to cash flow so you have to look at the cash flow first and look at um, how much you're spending on it second ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages this is the Marvin Francois Show, your number one source for all things business, finance, and investing. And today huh, is a very special day because our guest today is a real estate investor with over 150 doors and a real estate portfolio valued at $12 million. She's the owner and founder of The Savvy Real Estate Investor, a platform dedicated to educating and coaching other professionals on how to become successful in the real estate space and given to date, okay? She's helped professionals do well over eight figures in real estate acquisitions in total. I think it's safe to say that success is an understatement. Through nearly two decades of experience, our guest has collected a treasure trove of knowledge on the real estate business uh, that she has shared through her strong social media following, educating hundreds of thousands of individuals across the country, which is why I brought her on today to do the same for y'all. I'm here with the one, the only, Miss Janelle Wilson. What's going on, family? How are you? I'm great. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. Most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. How's everything on your end? How are you? How are you? Um, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I'm glad COVID's over. I'm getting done with these projects. Prices are back down to normal. Labor is normal. So, there you go. Yeah. Most definitely. Yep. Most definitely. And you are originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm from New Jersey. You're originally from New Jersey. Sorry about that. Yep. By way of, then from there, segued over to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yes. Came on down to Brooklyn, New York mm -hmm. to bless us and give us the game on top of the game on top of the game. Yep. Most definitely. Excited to have you. Um, so obviously, I know who you are. And there are some people who are familiar with you who are watching this episode already. But for those who don't know, just take a second, take a minute to let the people know who you are, where you're from, what you do, and how you got your start. So I'm Janelle Wilson. I'm from New Jersey. And um, I'm a chemical engineer. I went to school for engineering. And uh, my last year there is when I got my first property. I saved my dad's house from share sale. Mm. Um, when I had no money, no experience, no nothing, my grandmother said, hey, um, your dad's house about to go up. You need to come save it. And um without any kind of nothing. I've never even been inside that property. Mm. Um, I got a student loan and, and paid it. Um, it was going to get torn down. Um, I had to go get the violations fixed. Uh, the wall was crumbling in the back. Um, I, again, I had no idea, and I, I went and got those things fixed. But um, that was my first property. And um, when I did get it finished, it was making $700 a month mm. um, for my from my more than my my main job mm -hmm. uh, when I did start working six months later my salary was thirty eight thousand a year which is kind of low for an engineer at the time and my paychecks were um about a thousand dollars and then my first rent check was eleven hundred so I'm like hold up this rent check is more right. than my paycheck and I went to school for four years and I did this renovation for six months so um that was kind of how I got started got you got you so you said that your father's house was going through a share so yep. could sheriff sell for those who don't Taxes. know could you talk talk a little bit about that yeah, in Philadelphia, whenever you don't pay your taxes, your real estate taxes, eventually it goes up for share sale, and um, it goes to the highest bidder, cash, and um, I was able to stop it, say, this, was, this is my dad's house, can I pay off the taxes? So I was able to stop it that way. Um, they still have share sales, they have them with foreclosures, um, mostly real estate taxes, but yes, it's also way I buy properties too, but yeah. Got you, got you, got you, got you. So your father's house was going through the sheriff's cell, and then from there you're like, I got to step in here and do something. And like, and like you said at the time, you had never, never been inside it. Step foot at the foot at the house. Um, talk a little bit more about like I guess that property, uh, that that process of getting it. You financed the saving of your father's house through a. So. Um, just to back up, he bought that house in the 80s. Um, it was across the street from my grandmother's house. My great-grandmother and my aunt lived on the same block. And he had fell on hard times, started doing drugs, and um, he kind of let everything go. Mm -hmm. um, he left us. Um, he let the house fall apart. It had been vacant for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. So um, it was falling apart all that time. Um, and so when I found it, it was going up for share sale. I'd forgotten all about this property. Uh, it was boarded up, and... Um, 
I just got a student loan. That was the only thing I knew at the time. Right. So, so that's, that's how, that was how I paid for it. When I paid for the violations, I got a cash advance on my credit card because that was also the only thing I knew at the time. Now, I was at Rutgers, and they always had those credit card people coming up, passing out free movie tickets and T-shirts. And uh, <laughs> I was like, yes, credit cards, I can, can, can go to the movies for free. Uh-huh. And uh, that was my first credit card. I actually still have that credit card. Wow. And, um, yeah, I got a cash advance. Um the interest rate was twenty something percent, but I was like, I had to I had to stop the from getting torn down. So gotcha. um, I was able to pay it back quickly. I don't recommend people doing that, but it was just like I said, all I knew at the time, and um, so that was how I, I financed that part. Now the way I financed the rest of the renovation, um, after I paid that five or ten thousand total, and I went and looked inside the property, and I was like, I don't I don't know how to fix this. I don't mm. know what to do. I got a couple estimates. They were like way out of my league. I didn't have that much credit on my on my cards. I didn't have any cash saved up. I couldn't. Save that much from working and mm-hmm. um so i thought I, I, I would sell it so an investor offered me forty five thousand for this property this is in 2004 wow it was a total renovation mm-hmm. in my mind i thought it was worth twenty five thousand. so mm-hmm. the fact that he offered me 45 i was like really mm-hmm. i didn't know we worth that much so instead of me thinking like let me get this cash and, and you know go do something for it, i was like no it got me thinking i said i, I should keep this thing so Shortly after, I'm at the hair salon and I'm telling people like about my debacle. And mm-hmm. there's another customer. She says, I got a house around the corner from there. And I just did a drive-by appraisal. Now, appraisal is when they go and analyze um, how much a house is worth. And she got a loan, home equity loan, for $60-something thousand. I'm like, what? Mm. Drive-by appraisal? That means they don't go inside the house. So I was able to fix up the outside. Luckily, there were no drones back then because they would have flew over and saw a big old <laughs> hole in the roof. So I was able to get a drive-by appraisal. I painted the outside, got new windows, new doors, and then the price was $70,000. Wow. But um, it had liens on it. It had gotcha. liens, mortgages, water bills, um, Contractor, I'll just all kinds of stuff. I add up to another forty-five, so it's a good thing I didn't sell it because I would have been paying money at the table. Right. So um, I paid off those liens. I had like eighteen thousand left over, and um, it was enough for me to get started. And I just paid the rest out of my pocket. But um, I had the normal contractor drama. You know, he stopped showing up. Um, I had to pull up on his other his other project and find his workers, and his workers actually finished the job for me. But six months later, I got two Section 8 tenants, and that was when the, the money started rolling in. The money started rolling in. Yeah. Yep. Rock- so you would consider that your first real estate deal ever? Absolutely, yeah. Gotcha. And, and it, it was it was hard. Mm. It was hard. But, you know, luckily I was young. I didn't have, like, a whole bunch of things going on. And I did have sleepless nights, you know. It was a lot of money to me, a lot of money. And this thing is, I didn't know how much I was going to make later. It was like all on faith. Mm-hmm. It was all on this other investor feeling that this house is worth 45000 Like, he must know something I don't know. So I didn't know how much I can make. I didn't know any of that stuff. I don't even think I priced the rents back then. But, um, yeah, it was all on faith. And I, I, I made it. Once I saw that rent check hit my account, it was like, what? Ball game. Yes. Ball game. <laughs> so at the time you were still you were still uh working in the chemical engineering space. Yeah. So essentially chemical engineering, but how did you balance like work while kind of going through that process as as a college student, right? Yeah. You didn't have a mentor. No. So there was nobody to show you. Nope. At the time you didn't know about things like uh um, um you know the ARV and all these different things. You're kind of just figuring it out as you're going along. Yeah. What was that balance like of like still being in the chemical engineering space and then trying to navigate this first real estate deal? Fortunately, I work for the government. My family is like really on security. Mm. My whole family works for government. GSA, the VA, DEA, FBI, everybody works for the government because we we value security. So even though I had friends who were working at Johnson & Johnson and Colgate Palmolive making 65 out the gate, um, we value security. So the nice thing about the government is that it's kind of cushy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so so once you leave at 5 o'clock, you don't have to worry about anything. Right. So the nice thing about my job was that it was cushy. Um, and I, I'm considered a hard worker, and I was doing way more work than other people did. Um, and once I realized that, I'm like, if I could put in three hours of work, like, I, I will be – I will, I would get all the reasons that I wanted. I was the star employee if I do three hours worth of work. So it gave me the time to go out on my lunch break, Mm -hmm. look at houses, check on my projects, um, and leave at 5 o'clock on time and have plenty of time to go and check on stuff. So that was actually easy. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't get paid a lot. I got mm. 38000 On um, The next year, I got a raise up to, like, forty-eight. Mm. Um, and then it's like you get, like, $2,000 a, a year. Like, it's in steps. So no matter how hard you work, no matter how good you are, how smart you are, with the government, you just get incremental steps. And it was, like, $1,500 between each one. So um, you weren't really rewarded for, for doing any hard work. And so I spent all my hard work in, in the real estate. Um, 
but yeah, that's, that's, it was kind of easy to balance. I was young. I didn't have any kids. So it was easy. And I, my goal was to be a stay-at-home mom whenever I did have kids. Okay. And so I wanted to put all my money. I, and Before I knew about real estate, I planned on just saving, stockpiling a lot of money mm-hmm. so that when I had kids, I, I could quit and just live off of that cash. Mm-hmm. But then when I discovered real estate, I'm like, I'm just going to put all my money into there so that I can still be making money and not not be losing, you know, not pulling from my from my pot. Mm-hmm. So my goal was just to get as much real estate as possible before I had kids so that I could spend time with them. Beautiful, beautiful. Wow. So now kind of continuing along that timeline, right? You essentially, your first real estate deal is kind of an impromptu deal yeah. of your attempt of trying to save your father's house from a sheriff's cell, right? You secure it. Don't really know too much about real estate. You take the lumps and bumps as it go along, but ultimately yeah. you come out, come out of the deal. How many more did you walk away from your career at that point in time or did you get a couple more deals under your belt before you you ultimately decided like okay I'm going to transition from chemical engineering and going all in on real estate so because my job was so cushy I was going to work there forever okay I, I had no incentive to leave mm-hmm. I just wanted to make more money so I kept making more money more money and what happened was uh, the Great Recession so when the Great Recession happened there was a pay freeze um, there were no step increases, no raises, no nothing. Mm-hmm. So I was cool because I had the rental in- income coming in, but everyone else was angry. Gotcha. And I understood. Uh, I, and, you know, I didn't even tell people that I had these other properties going on. So they, th- th- I'm, I'm pretending like I'm angry too. Like, right. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but what really messed things up was they had a buyout. And a lot of people at my job were older. They were all technicians. So as a chemical engineer, you work in what's called a pilot plant. Mm-hmm. There's big equipment and people are running experiments. And I kind of designed the experiment. And the technician, they keep an eye on the equipment. You know, if anything goes wrong, they're, they're there. They alert me. And I'm just kind of overseeing things. So when I did this buyout, all the technicians, they've been there for 40 years. They got paid $25,000 and then their full retirement to leave early. So there was no one to run this equipment except me. So now I'm sitting here babysitting equipment and I can't even leave for lunch mm. to go check on my projects. Um, and uh, because I was the only one, I had to manage all these different projects from other people. And because I'm pretty capable, I, I did rise to the occasion. Even though I wasn't getting paid more money, I was on top of the projects. But it's just, I, I didn't have the time that I used to have. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't need this job. Right. And there was, there was one scientist who would be in my office waiting for me at 7.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. I come to work at 7.30. I, I drink my coffee. I check my email, check my bank accounts, and then I get to work. Don't be in my office waiting for me. You come to my office, try to micromanage me, and don't let me leave early on, on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I get upset. So I was like, you know what? I don't need this job. So I let my boss know like four months in advance that I'm going to resign. Mm-hmm. And the projects that I was working on then, it was by the time I got them rented out, it's going to be the same amount of my salary. So mm-hmm. this is eight years later. I've been working for eight years. Um, I was cash flowing 70000 in my properties, and I was making seventy eight thousand at work, so um, I was I was balling out of control. You know, <laughs> Philly <laughs> stuff is cheap. My, right. my my mortgage at the time was seven hundred dollars. I was I was buying clothes, buying my friends' clothes, happy hour. Like it was just a good, a good time. So it was a huge adjustment when I had to leave. But mm-hmm. um, eight years into it, I was cash on seventy thousand, and I could leave. So that was when I decided to leave. Cushy job was not cushy anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I would be there for a long time, but things changed. And uh, I had the opportunity and the freedom to leave. You had the opportunity and the freedom to leave. Yep. And then, you know, fast forward a couple years later, doing pretty well for yourself, right? Yes. Ten years later, I'm ready to stop buying. So, um, oh, got you, got yeah. You. yeah. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, from, of course, where you started as a college student that was essentially thrusted into it to now an established realtor with, once again, nearly two decades under her belt. Some of not only the success that you've had, but like I said, you work with a lot of individuals who kind of come from similar backgrounds yep. like you, right? Professionals from accounting, professionals from STEM. Yep. Um, talk about their success as well that they've also been able to have in the real estate space from working with you. Yeah. So as I got to meet people and network and other real estate investors who had like large portfolios, mm-hmm. um, when we got to know each other, I found out we were all engineers. Wow. All of us. Okay. Yes. It was it was amazing. I was like, we are engineer too. And so I think it's because we... Um, we pay attention to details. And so where a lot of people might lose or make mistakes, we catch them ahead of time. We're trained to see things like five, six, seven steps down the road. So mm-hmm. where other people lose money, um, we don't because we catch it. We're, um, and then also we can look at the small picture and the big picture and, and make the best decisions. We're very logical. Um, we're professional. We can go into a bank and apply for a loan and, and, and be okay with it. Um, 
and we ha- we usually have good credit because we're like we're type A. We right. like want to make sure everything is perfect. We're we're trained to follow the, the rules, mm. and so because of that, we can be very straight and narrow and, and navigate and take on a lot of projects and, and risks because we can control it. So um, once people can kind of let go of the rules, which I have I've I've learned. Um, I've, I've learned this just, just by going through it and making mistakes on my own and getting people angry and realizing that some stuff just isn't a big deal. Mm. Um, that once I can get let go of a lot of things, we can really scale and um, run our numbers and, and handle a lot. So when people find out how I analyze deals, they buy five properties in, in one year. Really? Yeah. Goodness Because it's like the, the rules that we're taught... It makes it look like you can't get a good deal. But it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Don't look at the IRR. Don't look at the ROI. Look at this one thing, and then and then you can. So it's like it's just too much information that all of us type A people, we like to read and, and watch everything, and it kind of is just too much information. So once you get rid of a lot of that noise and stuff, um, it kind of unlocks the doors, and then you just start, start taking over. Are you trying to leverage your personal credit to get business credit or business loans, but keep getting denied because your personal credit isn't where it needs to be? Takeoff Financial can help you restore your personal credit so that you can leverage it towards getting the funding that your business needs. So click the link above or below this video so that you can schedule a free consultation and see how we can simplify your finances and your life. And I'm actually happy that you said that because that's why I love connecting with individuals like yourself that I'm able to bring on and share that information, right? Because there are a lot of women that look like you, walk like you, talk like you, that also uh, are watching this episode right now and want to make that transition, but just don't necessarily know how. They they have an interest in real estate, but they feel like they're kind of changed to this uh, career that has probably done okay for them, but they know there's a lot more on the other side. So... If it's all right with you, I want to I want to just break that down for those individuals and walk them through how they can get into it. Is, that, is it okay with you? Yeah. Okay, beautiful. So a big part of real estate, um, as I know, and as you know, as being in the space is, like you said earlier, finding the deals, right? Yeah. I think that's, you know, finding the deals from what I understand is once you're able to get that out the way, everything else kind of falls in place from there. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, you stumbled into your first deal, mm-hmm. but for aspiring investors that are looking to get into the space, um, how can I go about securing my first deal as a new investor that's trying to get into the game right so the first thing that we're taught is you know hire a realtor so my second property was through a realtor my third property was through a realtor my fourth property was finding someone called me and said that they had a house they would they didn't want to pay the mortgage anymore they just want a thousand dollars and i would take over it so that was technically my first off-market deal Mm. and then after that i kind of met electricians and plumbers and they knew um people other investors want to sell their properties i got introduced to wholesalers um auctions but um now i think especially when COVID happened the auctions kind of dried up Mm -hmm. but the the biggest thing that we use is software called like PropStream or Deal Machine. Okay. And, you know, the realtors use the MLS and that just shows you the properties and, and their basic history. But these other software like PropStream, they go through, they know if there's a mortgage on there. They know if it's free and clear. They tell you where the owner is. So they give you scripts of, of what to call and say to these people. Like these other programs, there's so many houses that are off the market than are on the market. Because, you know, people are on the market. They, they're aware of hiring a realtor. But people sometimes are left properties or, you know, wh- whatever whatever the case. They just, they're not even in, in the state. Mm-hmm. So you can search houses that are owned by people out of state, out of the country. I have a student who just bought a duplex that's in, like, great condition for $100,000. Needs about 50000 worth of work. It doesn't even need that much. She just wants to make it pretty. Mm-hmm. And... uh once she rents it out, she's going to be making $2,600 a month. And she bought it from someone in Africa who has no clue. Africa? Yes. Yeah, he, he was an <laughs> investor. He's buying stuff here in Philly. And he had houses, like, on the same block. Okay. Multifamilies. And he just, no one knows what the houses are worth here. You know, they're, they're in their own world. They don't know. Mm. So he just wants his number and be done. So she got this price for $100,000, easily worth for two fifty. And so this off of looking up houses that are owned by people who don't live in the state or who don't live in the property. So you can set up different parameters, houses that have been owned for over 20 years, houses with no mortgage, and just target those people, write them a letter, call them, whatever. And like I said, they give you scripts now. It just, just make it so easy to just plug and play and get these properties. You talked about like on-market deals versus off-market deals for, I guess, when you were in the process of really building out your portfolio, right? What was the personal strategy that you had? Do you have specific types of houses, whether it was single family versus multifamily, whether it was distressed property versus turnkey? What was your strategy that you had, you know, in the earlier stages of you building your profile out as you were getting into the real estate game? Because my first property was a duplex, 
that was kind of what I stuck with. My second property duplex, um, the subject to the one where I assumed that was a single family. But I did that because I couldn't, I actually couldn't get any more FHA loans. Um, I didn't know why. I was like, I'm making $60,000. i am getting this cash from these properties. Why can't I get these loans? So the next thing I, I knew what to do was a subject to. So when I assumed that, that was a single family. So I just did that because that was all I, all I could buy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I started using credit cards to buy houses, I went to auctions. And those would go for like $10,000. So those mm-hmm. were just cheaper. So because I could afford the cheaper single families, I bought those. But then I realized that the single families, it's actually less work. Um, the multifamilies, you got to take care of the yard. You got to pay the water bill. There might be like things going on between the tenants. You got to pay for trash. But the single families, people live in there. They don't move out. They take care of the yard, the shovel, the snow. And so it's, it's actually more passive. Um, so even though they're, they don't cash flow as much, they're more passive. And actually, you can get the cash out a lot of money. So they're cheap. There might be 10000 Well, back then, they were 10000 Now they might be like forty five, fifty, mm-hmm. sixty, seventy, dollars 70 depending on, on the condition. But um, they'll worth fit one fifty, cash out the money, but you're only going to cash flow like three fifty. The multifamilies, um, they cost more money. Things cost more more to replace. You've got two kitchens, two, two of everything. So you pay more money, but they cash flow more. And like I said, it, it's a little bit more work because you have to manage more things. So my strategy is mostly small multifamily. Um, I have a lot of duplexes, triplexes, and quads. I just have like three singles um, just because I've had them for a long time. And I, I don't sell. Um, I buy and hold because I don't want to, I don't, it's not a job to me. I just want to get this cash flow going and, and live the soft life. So um, the multifamily <laughs> is, uh, is, 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 is my niche. I wish I would have scaled up and did like, you know, 10, 20, 50 units later because I realized it's, it's a lot more money involved but um, I had my deal flow was just coming so well with the auctions I was going to with the wholesalers that they, they knew my buy box and they would just bring me all great deals and I had the contractor and I had my lender so it was, it was just like a, a symphony of all this great stuff going on and so I just kept buying it but but now that um, I actually don't have my contractor anymore um, I'm done but yeah my buy box is single fam- um, sorry small multifamily because they cash flow great um, the prices are low and they're, they're pretty simple to make manage for you personally how do you differentiate a good deal from a bad deal right because you know the name of the game is we, we're, here, we're here to spend money to make money yep right not all deals are, are are created equally right what are you looking for to kind of know like oh yeah this is this this is this is one for me right here yeah so i number one i look at cash flow some people teach um you know got to be a certain percentage of the, the repair value but i said no you gotta look at the cash flow first because you could be buying or looking in a, a flipping area and flipping area you could make money from the cash out but it's not going to cash flow so you have to look at the cash flow first and look at um, how much you're spending on it second so for single families i would like to cash flow like 350 and then if if it's worth, if I'm, if I'm spending like 120000 I, I want it to be worth one fifty. I want it, the rent to be thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars, and so I cash for like three fifty, and that's after all the expenses. Um, multifamilies, I, I would like it to be three fifty a door. So for duplexes, I typically cash for nine hundred dollars, but the minimum is like seven hundred. Um, triplexes, I'm cash for only like thirteen. So someone could buy five duplexes and, and replace their income, you know, if, if they make like forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And then it doesn't even take that long to manage. You know, you're working 40 hours a week. Once you get your tenant in there, it's, it's so easy. They got property management systems and people can submit um, a maintenance request and it go directly to, to your maintenance person. It's just it's just so, so easy to do. But gotcha, yeah, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> You also mentioned earlier, because um, this is something I, I've always known about in real estate, but I don't really hear a lot of people talking about it now, like working with like wholesalers. Yeah. Right. And how for essentially, I believe like those are like essentially middlemen mm-hmm. when it comes to securing properties. Talk a little bit more about like how we how we can potentially leverage that to also find deals as well, whether it's wholesalers or even like going to auctions as well. Yep. So. I'm I'm pretty hands off. Even though the Burr strategy in general is an active real estate in, investment strategy, I don't paint, I don't I don't door knock, I don't do any of that stuff. So no. I I pretty much manage all the people who are doing the work. So I work directly with the wholesalers who are calling the people who are going on deal machine and, and finding the deals. That's just not I don't think that's worthy of, of my time. So gotcha. I I work with wholesalers. Um, I work with um the subcontractors and I work with the. Uh, the software. So I'm, I'm pretty hands off. I'm just managing people. I'm, I'm the visionary. I, I see the project. I see the most money it can make. I know how to do the zoning and, and make this property make money. And then I just hired people to, to all do it. Um, so wholesalers, I use wholesalers a lot. Um, my first wholesaler I met through my electrician, he had 
he he so different wholesalers have their different specialties this one did probates so whenever someone passed away he would go and look up how many properties they had and he would contact the heirs and uh get them to all sign off and get properties for dirt cheap. so he always had packages so he had a package and i got my first triplex for for thirteen thousand. i got my first i got another duplex for twenty thousand. that first triplex my first time having one appraised for three hundred thousand dollars. After I, I bought it for thirteen and put less than a hundred thousand into it, and that was how I started buying triplexes. So, um, and that was an, an appraisal. Like no one knew that houses would appraise for three hundred thousand in that area. Right. It's just, it's the same way now in, in Philly, like in Southwest Philly. Um, when I post online that this house appraised for for two for three hundred, they're like, really? In Southwest Philly? I said, yep. Yep, and no one even knows. They're not buying over there because they don't know they can appraise. Mm. But um, that's the kind of things that you discover when you're in it, mm. you know? Gotcha. Um, but yeah, that answer your question? That, that's, that, that, that definitely <laughs> answers my question. I got to go look at some chart flexes myself. Yeah, you understand? that's where the money is. How do you feel about out-of-state investing as well? Because I know that, you know, you once again, originally from New Jersey, yeah. now being in, based in PA, um, even though you yourself are not, you know, touching and doing the painting and a lot yeah, of Yeah, you're the, managing the people. You're managing the people, mm-hmm. right? Um, are you for or against kind of like out of... Uh, out-of-state investing and and have you had any experience dealing with that up until this point so fortunately i haven't had to um i did consider it back in 2019 2018 when we thought prices were high (laughs) um turns out it was like stupid cheap back then but anyway um i have not it just adds a layer of risk um and you just have to make sure you find a good team no, you find a good team. You you have to know how to manage people. Um, you got to know business. And a lot of people like me who are engineers, we're a little socially awkward. Okay. We don't know how to talk to people sometimes. So gotcha. I've I've learned that that's that's that has been our challenge. We're great with the numbers. We're great with everything else, but we're terrible at like managing people and kind of um, like staying on top of people. So that that's the only thing. So once you know how to be more of a people person and how to not make people feel like stupid or something, but uh, just as long as you find your team out of state you're fine you're golden you said something key that i also wanted to touch on because you were talking about how you know once upon a time i think back in 2018 2019 mm-hmm. that was a time where you you and probably some other investors thought like oh did, like this is way too expensive yep. to invest now now fast forward we're, us being in 2023 you look back like oh we were, we were getting a bargain yes <laughs> so now in the same vein that kind of segues into another thing because obviously right now we're in a recession and you hear a lot of rumblings about you know for either Gosh. investors that are trying to get in or investors that are in, hey, be careful. You know, yeah. this may not necessarily be the best time. Uh, what what would you say in regards to just, I guess, what's going on right now in the economy mm-hmm. in comparison to different people either trying to get into real estate or people already in real estate who are trying to build out their portfolio? Yeah. If you listen to podcasts like um, Bigger Pockets from 2019, mm-hmm. you'll hear them talking about, yeah, crash is coming, a crash is coming just because prices were just so high. Mm-hmm. And there were people who were selling their portfolio so that they can cash out at this you know, high price mm-hmm. and then profit from when it crashed. Mm-hmm. But then when 2020 happened and the market and the, the rates dropped and the market skyrocketed, they were kicking themselves right. because, number one, they can't afford to buy nothing now. There's no price. And then they could have got more money. So it's like you can never time the market. Right. And because you can always get deals for less than what they're worth at auctions through wholesalers from contacting the owner, you can always get stuff for cheap. So once you know how to get stuff for cheap, you know how to do the financing. There's just no reason not to always buy. You can always buy. There's always opportunities. There's always opportunities. Yep. There you go. It got, and, and like you said, you can't time the market. And one of my favorite sayings is, I think I think it was Wall Street Trapper. He said something like, time in the market is better than timing the market. Right. Got you. So essentially, that same principle also applies to real estate as well. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, and once you're in it, that's when you find the deals. You know, you have those relationships. People know that you're buying. They'll bring you deals. So it's like you really have to get in it and get in our world mm-hmm. and, and having those connections. While you're on the outside and on the sidelines, you're missing everything. You have no idea what's right. going on. Yeah. Right, right. Beautiful. Beautiful. So we have we have an understanding now of like different ways that we can go about finding deals. You know, you talked about share of sales auctions wholesalers prop stream things of that nature once we secure a deal once we find a deal you know it's that's just you know we essentially just got started right Mm -hmm. another big part of it is financing the deal because we're not coming out of pocket to pay 10 20 30 40 thousand dollars uh on these properties what are some of the different ways that we can go about financing these deals that we're able to get our hands on right so if you're someone who has money, um, you're making 300000 a year, you can buy turnkey properties and be able to keep buying. But if you're a real estate investor who doesn't have a lot of money, the nice thing is that you can buy, house, 
find houses for cheap and fix them up. And lenders, they love people who know how to buy properties and fix them up. So once you can prove to a lender that you can do this, you can get financing so easily. So I usually tell people just get one cosmetic property, fix it up, use a hard money lender, and you can get you can get money, all the money you want. You can go to a bank, get lines of credit. Um, but to get started, people are getting um, like business credit cards. You get business mm-hmm. credit cards, you transfer the money into your account using stuff like Plastique or even Venmo now. If you have a, a, an Amex card, mm-hmm. you can pay yourself through Venmo and, and mm-hmm. get the cash off the card. So there are different ways to get the cash off the card. If you're a new investor, you just need cash to get started. But once you have your relationship with your hard money lender, you can get, you can get financing so easily. Gotcha. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. For those who don't know, what exactly is a, because we know about banks, we know yeah. about, you know, uh, credit cards, lines FHA, of credit, things yeah. like that. What What is a hard money lender and how can we use um, them to finance some of these deals that we're looking into? Yeah. So most people know about FHA loans. They were the first loans I knew about. Um, I would always tell the lender like, yeah, I'm moving to a better area. Let me get another, another FHA loan. But um, I realized that the FHA loans, they have so much red tape, so, so many things. You Like the house has to have this done, has to pass inspection, has to appraise. And um, it's hard to get a good deal because sellers sometimes don't, don't want to go through FHA. Mm. They don't want to wait 30 days. So the benefit of hard money lenders is that they're as good as cash. I can tell a seller that I'm offering cash. I can close in two days. And because of that, I can get a discount. So a house might be listed for $100,000 on, on the market. They get an offer from an FHA person of $100,000 you know, at price, they, but they can close in 45 days. I say, hey, I can close in two weeks. How about this for eighty? Come on now. Yep. And so I'm getting a huge discount. I'm saving $20,000. And yes, the hard money lender has points. The points are like, two points so I'm paying what $1,600 additional um, and then I'm paying like 11% interest which is still t- less, way less than $20,000 and so I also have I can close quickly um, so I can get good deals I get all the deals whenever I see that someone's having problems I'll call them and say hey I can close in, in two days as soon as title's done and so I get houses for cheap um, so I have that power even though I'm paying cash I say I'm paying cash and I'm not I still say it mm-hmm. um, and in fact I can close in two weeks so when I ha- so when wholesalers know that I have this hard money lender backing me mm-hmm. that's when I that's when I get the deals they bring me deals because they know I can close so you uh, does that getting that kind of relationship with hard money lenders does it come from time of just doing continuous deals with them back to back to back or because you, you talked about points yeah right for those who don't know can you talk a little bit more about that and like what, what exactly points are when it comes to dealing with these lenders yeah so so hard money lenders, they are short, they call them bridge loans. Um, they're only to acquire property and get it to um, cash flowing status or to get it fixed up so it could be flipped or refinanced. Mm. And so hard money lenders, they make their money on lending out the money. They want to l- lend their money out and get it right back. So they charge you points. They charge between two to three points. So a point is a percentage of gotcha. the property. So if a house is 100000 a point is $1,000. So if it's three points, you're paying 3000 mm. So it's just a fee on top of it. And um, as long as you're getting a house for a discount, that fee is is worth it. You know, I'm... I'm they're going to bring me deals because I'm paying cash. So already I have a leg up. Um, I could offer less money because I'm paying cash. So mm-hmm. it's just it's a it's, it's a benefit that people don't see because they're always focused on the interest rate and the points. Gotcha. Gotcha. Are hard money lenders the same as because I've also heard something about private money lenders. Are they the same thing or are they different? They're like in between. Talk so to me. so um, when I when I was a young investor, I didn't have any money, and I only knew about FHA loans, and I didn't use credit cards. I did ask my uncles who I knew had money if they would, you know, lend to me just so I can keep investing. But even though I had three deals under my belt, and I've always been a hard worker, and I've always been like I'm smart, and they they didn't trust me. They, right. They didn't trust me. So you know, when people use private money, they're using people who have money, who have good jobs, and and you would pay them like eight percent on their money, which is higher than a savings account, higher than. Um, you know, the stock market. So people can get private money to buy deals. So I didn't have that benefit. So hard money lenders, I discovered hard money lenders at a real estate convention. They had a they had a table out and they were like, hey, um, we can give you a loan for 17%. And I'm thinking like, all right, um, 17%, I'm still going to make $700 in cash flow. I only need this loan for six months. Mm-hmm. I'll pay it. No big deal. Um, but then I actually found like uh, a smaller local company, hard money lender, who's charging 
charging 12. And basically, they are using people's like self-directed IRAs, people's retirement money, other real estate investors who just have cash now. Um, so it's like private money, but it's being controlled by, by a lender. Got you. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Got you, got you, got you. And, you know, earlier on, you also talked about like different credit cards and things like that. Do you personally, because once again, building the portfolio you have, do you have specific banks that you personally are kind of just have in your back pocket to where like, okay, I know I'm going to, I'm good to go when it comes to financing from here that you would recommend to other investors or? Yeah. So I always preach local lenders because you build a relationship mm -hmm. you can walk into a credit union and they will make a product for you there's been credit unions who never did like uh, the birth strategy they don't do construction loans but once you have a relationship with them they, they will make a product for you whereas wells fargo chase you know you you get what they have available okay um and and, and you don't talk to the underwriter mm -hmm. but at small banks you talk to the underwriter um, you get to know them. If there's a problem, you, they, they can talk you through it. They build the trust. You can kind of get away with murder sometimes once you had these relationships with hard money lenders and, and, and the local credit unions. Um, but yes, once you build a relationship, you just have other people there and um, you can get as many loans as you want. A lot of people think that there's a limit of a million dollars with a credit union. Like, no, I have seven million with one credit union. Really? Yeah. Hold on. Yeah, th there's no rules. You got to <laughs> always know there's no rules to nothing. <laughs> seven million with one credit union? With one credit union. Yeah. Got you. Are you are you comfortable name dropping that than the credit union or Fill out your credit union? I've heard about this credit union. You're not yeah. the first person. They they have gotten some very big shout outs from people in Philly. They they, yeah. they must be doing very beautiful business. Yeah, yeah, because the, the numbers, the cash flow numbers are beautiful in Philly. Okay. Yeah, and especially if we went to section eight, they know the money is guaranteed. Mm, so you're able to go into these credit unions and essentially because there are sometimes when you're looking for financing, depending on you know what the business venture is, and mm -hmm. we hear a lot of people talk about like high risk, right? And how the banks want to give you the money, but they also want to protect themselves. Right. So these banks know that you're taking the money for real estate deals. Yeah. So a lot of times with business credit, they're like, you know, you can't use a certain name. But right. no, you go to banks that are familiar with real estate loans. Mm. So you go to banks who know real estate loan, they know the area, they, they, they know how much these houses are worth. Um, they, they just, they're just, they're familiar. So, um, and then also all their appraisers are different. Whenever you work with an appraiser who's used to dealing with residential, they're really tight with their numbers. Um, you know, they have the bank's best interest at heart. But these appraisers on the, the business side, they know that when they give you high numbers, you're going to buy more properties and then yeah. they're going to get more appraisals and make, make, make more money. So, right. The side on the investment side is like abundant thinkers and you can get loans, you get high appraisals, you get more money, you get high limits on, on lines of credit. It's just it's just it's just a different world. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Seven million from one credit union. Yep. I know. They seven. they trust me. Can you believe that? Seven million. Is yeah. that, that and that's your baby. That's your that's that's your go to. Do you have any other banks or credit so unions? I've tried. So I try I try to make make more relationships just mm. so I can have a backup and they just haven't been as great. And I, I know that if a bank doesn't know me, I might not look that great on paper. Mm. I don't I don't have a huge reserves. Mm -hmm. Actually I don't have reserves. Mm -hmm. My reserves are my property. I have a couple of free and clear properties that if I get into trouble, I'll just get a loan against those. Mm. But you know, having cash in the bank is the opportunity cost to me. And a lot of real estate investors cash burns a hole in our pocket. And when we see a good deal, we just have to buy it. So I never had a lot of reserves. Um, so to another bank, I've tried American Heritage. I've tried Truemark. Um, there's a couple other banks in Philly that people use. But uh, Philadelphia Credit Union, for some reason, they, they trust me and they just keep giving me loans. <laughs> no, no. So you, you mentioned, you mentioned you know, working with appraisers and you mm -hmm. know taking loans against the house and stuff like that. We're we talking money now. I'm getting excited. Let's, yeah, let's, 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 talk, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about some money. <laughs> Obviously, when you're you're getting into the real estate space, you know, one of the more common ways for you to make money is you find a deal, get the house, fix it up, put some tenants in there, mm -hmm. cash flow first of the month. Right. What are some of the other different ways that we're able to, you know, make money from a lot of these investments that we're getting our hands on as investors? Real estate makes so much money that people don't know. There are so many flippers so that people know that you buy a house picked up, you sell it, you get a, a huge lump sum. But there's not that many buying holders who talk about how much money that we really make. So you really make your money the longer that you keep your property. For, so, for example, of course, you make your money when you buy, especially when you buy off market. Um, so, for example, my student who bought a house for $100,000, uh, she's buying it with, she, he could have sold it for one seventy five easily. So already she has pocketed $75,000. And that is real money. Mm -hmm. She can sell it and make $75,000. She can refinance and make $75,000. So then when she does the forced appreciation, she puts money into it. And a lot of times, sometimes you can just paint and clean a house 
And it will appraise. So there's a difference between selling a house and a house appraising. Okay. All you got to do is tell the phrase of what you want and you pretty much get it. It is like printing money. Mm. So she could paint the house. It's, it's that nice. But she wants to make it nice. It's her first house. A lot of times when we get houses, we watch HGTV. We want to do this. We want to do that. I'm like, all right, go ahead and get it out your system. Go ahead. Um, she wants to spend extra money and make it extra nice. And she, she thinks she needs, she needs to do that for appraisal, but you don't. You really mm. don't. Um, especially with these guys. These guys, they don't pay attention to any of that stuff. They go in there. They It's about the presentation. They see the house, see how much it's worth. They see how much it's cash flowing, and they assign it a number. Um, so it is really printing money. When you go in there, you paint the property put a tenant in there so you're making the cash flow you force appreciation it appraises you can cash out two hundred thousand dollars it is real estate is printing money Mm -hmm. and then the fact that it's protected by inflation inflation when when people don't know what to do they they buy real estate when Mm -hmm. the rates drop they buy real estate and all this causes the value of it to go high Mm -hmm. not only the value of it but the rents go up too Mm -hmm. so my very first property the one that i was making eleven hundred dollars a month Mm -hmm. i'm getting twenty four hundred dollars a month 10 almost 20 years later so yeah my rent has doubled the value of it has tripled yes so any property that you buy now 20 years from now you can count on a doubling in rent so if you're counting on your 401k, do you know how much that, that you can pull off in, in, in 20 years? Like how much that, that you will get every month in rent? I mean, in, in dividends, you know, who knows? But real estate is pretty guaranteed. 3% appreciation rate and the value and the rents. And a lot of times it's higher than what inflation is. Got you. Do you ever at some point in time, because I think you said you have a couple properties that you own free and clear. Am I yeah. correct on that? Yeah, my first two. Got your first two. But outside of that, the rest of them, of course, you still have some type of a mortgage on them or whatever. Do you ever plan on getting to a point? Because I've asked a couple of real estate investors this, and every time I bring it up, they laugh, like paying off any of the houses. No, or for you at least, do you ever plan on paying off some of those houses or no, so, just wash, rinse, repeat? A lot of people have a problem with debt. I've never had a problem with debt. I was not taught that it was bad. Um, I was only taught how to manage it. And I'm like, as long as I have a section 10 in there, I know how it's going to be paid. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in debt because money is like, especially when the rates are drop, that is such cheap labor. Mm. Money can work so much harder than you can. You can take out $100,000, leverage that into five different properties, make $700 a month from each one. Seven times five is what, $3,500? How much work would it take for you to make an additional $3,500 a month? Right. A lot. So money can stretch so much further. So whenever rates drop, always refinance everything. Mm. Pull that cash out. Put it into anything. Put it into the stock market. Put it into a whole life insurance policy. Put it anywhere. Just don't leave it in the property. So mm-hmm. leaving your money in the property is an opportunity cost. You can, can leverage it when it rates drop. That's, that, that's the blueprint. You take it out when the rates drop, put it into your whole life insurance policy. We'll start to compound at 4%. Mm-hmm. And then when rates go back up, prices drop, you start buying more real estate again. Beautiful. So to, to dive, dive deeper into that, you know, because obviously the name of the game is one of the biggest things is equity, right? Your property sitting there and as time is going on, the value of this property is going up. You talked a lot about refinancing. Um, another route when it's come to just leveraging the equity that's in a property that I've heard people talk about here and there, but I don't really hear them talk about a lot is, uh, I think it's called HELOCs. Mm-hmm. HELOCs. Could you talk a little bit about, I guess, the difference between going the route of a refinance versus going the route of a HELOC and like which one bears more fruit? Yeah. So this is like the nerdy part of me. Let's um, do it. <laughs> I've always loved math. Okay. Um, I've had my bank accounts since I was seven. So I know a lot about math and numbers and I know... I, you could pull up a, an equation and I would know how it looks on, on, a, on a graph. So mm-hmm. the difference between compound interest and amortized interest. Compound interest, you never want to pay it. Credit cards is compound interest. Mm-hmm. HELOCs are compound interest. Amortized interest is the cheapest interest you could pay. So when you take out a HELOC that is compound interest, you're paying more money than you would pay if you got a, a straight loan. So you pay... Let's say you took out a, a loan, a amortized loan, when the rates dropped at 4%, even at 5%. You put it in your whole life insurance where you're getting compound interest at a lower rate. So, all right, home equity loan, 4%. Life insurance policy, 3%. Mm-hmm. Compound. You're going to make more money mm-hmm. in your whole life insurance, even though it's a lower rate because it's compound interest. Mm-hmm. Amortized interest is less money. So you always want to pay amortized money. You never want to pay compound money. So HELOCs are compound money. 
got you, yeah. got you, got you, got you. Okay, yeah. this is getting good. This is getting good. <laughs> I know. I was like, this is a little too deep, but yeah, p- people don't really know that. But I've I've run the numbers. I do the calculators. I have gone down rabbit holes, rabbit holes about everything that people can overthink. Got you, yeah. got you, got you, got you. Taking a bit of a, a step back, another part of the real estate journey, like we said, because we're trying to, there's we're evaluating all the different ways that we can make money from this thing obviously the main one being the tenants that we have in the property right but mm-hmm. of course in order for us to make money from tenants in the property we got to get tenants in the property right mm-hmm. i follow you pretty closely on on um social media and one thing i hear you preach about a lot when it comes to get securing these tenants is section eight section eight section eight could you speak a little bit about um how you've been how you personally have been able to leverage section eight Talk a little bit about what it is for people who maybe don't know and how it's helped you to kind of make sure you're consistently having tenants in a lot of these properties that you're buying. Yeah. So fortunately, when I got started in real estate at 22, I didn't know all these stigmas that people said. I didn't know that debt was bad. I didn't know that Section 8 tenants destroy your properties. I didn't know any of these things. <laughs> and so I just went and did it. I saw the guaranteed money and um, I liked automatic payments. I like being able to set my my mortgage on automatic once the money came in. So that was that was kind of my goal. Mm-hmm. And um, I... I never had any problems with with tenants. But the thing that I noticed that was the real cheat code was that Section 8 paid more than you could from a regular tenant. Oh, go into that. Talk about that. Yeah. So Section 8 has to go by HUD numbers, the fair market rent, Mm -hmm. which might be, it's like an average. It's like an average of the whole area. But when you're buying in C neighborhoods, these houses are cheaper. They're cheaper, but you're you're getting an average rent. And so places where a regular landlord might get $600 in rent for like a one-bedroom, I was getting $900. Mm. $900. So I would buy a duplex in West Philly for $60,000, like all in. I buy it for $20, um, fix up for $40. I get $900 from each unit. Mm-hmm. It was and people didn't know they had no idea. But then eventually the word got out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, found, they, they found out. Yeah, the word got out. But but the numbers are it's, so it got more popular. But the numbers are still work. So so now when I get a property, um, I might be all in a duplex one fifty. Mm-hmm. For one bedroom, I'm getting twelve hundred dollars. So from each unit, we're told I'm getting twenty four hundred dollars off this building that I paid one hundred fifty dollars for. Thousand mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. So um, the benefit of Section Eight is number one is guaranteed money. Two, you're getting um, higher than what you would normally get from a regular tenant. Three, um, it's just guaranteed and it lasts forever. You can just put in rent increases too. So a lot of times people people don't want to increase their rent because they don't want to um, put a pressure on their tenants. And I understand that. I do have a couple tenants who are not Section Eight, and I haven't gone up on their rent because I get so much money from Section Eight. So it kind of it subsidizes the public tenant's rent. Gotcha. Um, so, but Section Eight, two years go by, you put in a for rent increase, and it goes up to the the fair market rent again. So, mm. um, once I refinanced a lot of my properties in in twenty twenty one. I pulled out all that cash. People were like, "What well, the payment's going up. This is going up. I was like, don't worry, boo-boo. I'm going to put in these rent increases. <laughs> so I put in the rent increases, and um, it was higher than what I thought. So a lot of times when I put in for my RAFTA, which is the form you fill out when you get a new tenant, I would always put in higher than what I wanted um, just because, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to shoot my shot. Mm-hmm. So when I put in these rent increases, I put in 1200 for houses where I was getting like 850 and I thought they were coming in like 1000 mm-hmm. So I'm putting in these rent increases for 1200 and they're getting approved. Crazy. I was like, what? I can get $1,200. And then I started putting my raptors for 1200 So now I'm getting $1,200 a month in rent. A lot of people don't even know that you can get that much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm making money from uh, high cash flow, guaranteed money, uh, equity, appreciation, oh, and tax benefits. I pay no taxes. Signing up with Takeoff Financial was really the best choice for me. It allowed me to take control of my life. I know that some people may think that that's really dramatic, but it's not. I feel like credit is really important and signing up with them allowed me to understand that. I just want to say thank you because I think that you guys have definitely allowed me to feel comfortable. You allowed me to feel liberated. You allowed me to feel that it's okay. It's okay not to have great credit, but it's not okay to stay in that situation. So thank you guys for embracing me and allowing me to have a new life. Head over to our website at takeoffinancial.com and let's get your credit score to the moon. Oh, wait, wait, no, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it because if we talk about money, I want to talk about taxes yeah, too, right? Yeah, it's, it's like insane. When I sit down, I, I, I've had a couple individuals who I'm connected with who are like mm-hmm. tax specialists. And one thing they've always anonymously said is real estate is the biggest tax cheat code yeah. there is. What has your experience been with that? Because I'm, I've heard like you can essentially use a lot of these properties to write everything off. So you got to be careful with the birth strategy because we need loans. 
you, True. You want to write everything off as depreciation, cost segregation. All of that is do not go on trips and have networking parties and write. No, don't do that. It has to be depreciation because depreciation actually gets added back in. It's, it's kind of complicated. Not, not many people understand it, but as long as you say that you're doing a capital improvement or you're doing a birth strategy, so you're already saying it's depreciated. So it's like it's, it's, it's on paper. It's a paper loss. Okay. So it's not a real loss. It's a paper loss. So the banks don't even look at it. But you pay the it's for the government. You pay less less taxes. So I can make three hundred thousand a year and pay ten thousand dollars in taxes. Three hundred thousand off the properties. Yeah. Got you. So when you say we're essentially writing off the depreciation, what do you mean by that? Talk a little more about that. It's really just a paper loss. So if a house is $300,000, you depreciate it over 27 years. So 27, 300 divided by 27 is what you can deduct from your taxes year. So if you made $15,000 on that house, your depreciation might be $15,000. So you made zero, zero dollars. So we take the amount, total amount of the loan of the house. Total amount of the value of the house. The value of the house mm-hmm. and divided divided by... 27. 27 is the set number or just... 27.5. 27, where's that number coming from? I don't know, some tax code. Got you. So 27.5 <laughs> and that's essentially how much we could write off on the house. Every, every year. Ooh, wait. Yep. And that goes for any and every property. Yes. Ooh, wait. Yeah. The only thing it doesn't take off is the land value. So, I mean, but it, you still, like, it, it cancels out. It cancels out. So you, it's like you made zero dollars, but you really did make money. How do you, how, is there a way to kind of like control that? Because like you said, yep. you, on, on a... Yes, you can. Let's talk to Sarah. Explain. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, oh, goodness. So um, a lot of times um, when I might do a refinance, I'm going to like paint all the houses again. I'm going to fix this, fix that. And I'm going to say that's a capital improvement. Okay. Capital improvement, you get to write that off as depreciation. So um, even though it might have been, you know, actually a, a repair, mm. um, I'm not going to call a repair because that is going to hurt me um, when I want to apply for loans. So I'm going to call everything a capital improvement. They call it CapEx. Mm. Sound familiar? It does. Yeah. So you use everything as a CapEx and that you can write all that stuff off. So capital improvement is essentially what we can categorize just the different renovations and little fix little fix ups that we're doing in and in and outside of the house. Mm-hmm. And essentially yep. use that as leverage. Yep. Go ahead, write that thing off. Yes, that's right. And but it's only written off for, for tax purposes. For the bank, they don't see that. They see it you still made money. But if you put it as maintenance or repairs or a high water bill, um, that will count against you and uh, you might not get approved. So I say don't write a bunch of stuff off. Write everything as depreciation. Come on now. Yep. Ooh, this is good. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Circling back. <laughs> <laughs> circling, so, so, so quickly kind of just circling back because you talked about Section 8 tenants and things like that um, in terms of how essentially you've used Section 8 to – Make sure get a, get a lot of guaranteed rent and the leverage it's provided you in being able to get more than a lot of other investors yep. in the same neighborhoods yep. are getting for some of those properties. Mm-hmm. Are there any other government programs um, that you personally leverage, or is, is Section Eight really the, your bread and butter? So I've tried. I, I'm always open to trying things. I've tried nonprofits. Um, they get grants, but the thing is, grants can run out. So mm. other programs I've tried that might only be eight years long. Eight years goes by pretty quickly. Mm. Um, they run out of. You run to nonprofits. There's like AIDS and um, LGBTQ programs. So there's all types of programs. Any kind of program you can think of, there is a program where they'll pay you to, to rent to them. But in my experience, Section 8 has been the most because it's just so sophisticated with the amount of money that you get, um, rental increases. They're on a program forever. So, yeah, I've, I've stuck to, with Section 8. Got you. Got you. Got you. Got you. To kind of dive a little bit deeper, in, dive in a little bit deeper, especially when we talk about like tenants and things of that nature, you know, I know, of course, us being in this information age of, you know, social media with anything, not even just real estate, everybody's winning, right? And everything is glossy and glammy and glit, glitz. Um, I'm curious to know, like, what's the flip side to kind of being an investor, whether it be dealing with tenants, whether it be, I guess, L's that you're taking in the process of finding a lot of these deals, because I think it's important for people to understand that yeah. too, especially if they're aspiring to get in the space. Like you're not going to win every single time. Everything is not going to be sunshine and rainbows every single month, right? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the only hard part in business, because this is a business, right? Um, even though it's investing, it's really actually a business, a passive business, which is why a lot of entrepreneurs, whenever they want to retire, they, they put their money in real estate because they already know all the business things hmm. that uh, real estate entails. But um, the hardest part is the people, um, okay. having reliable people work for you, having good tenants. And a lot of times people don't vet the people who are working for them. They don't vet their contractors. They don't vet their tenants. 
They don't they trust people too much. They don't follow up with nobody. So once you know how to vet people, follow up, um, help. Pe- you got to help them help them sometimes. So sometimes I have tenants who don't know how to fill out their paperwork. Mm. I got to sit there and fill out their paperwork. I got to sit there and, and help them get their payments set up. So it's mm. like a lot of times I'm doing a lot of work to set people up who don't know what they're doing or mm. and, and to follow up with people. So it's like I don't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. So because I don't trust anybody, I'm always following up. I'm always checking. I'm always making sure they know what to do. I I set, I have checklists. I set things up. Oh, sorry. Um, I have checklists so whenever I'm working with a new contractor I'll say this is the paint I used this is where I like my light switches so I I make sure the checks and balances are outlined ahead of time but as a new investor you don't even you don't you don't know these things you don't know the things you need to tell your contractor you don't know the things that that you need to tell your tenant like tenant this is how you uh, turn off the water if something happens Um, this is how you change your battery and your smoke detector Um, if something's a problem it's emergency call 911 don't call me Okay, my office hours are Monday through Friday, nine to five. Okay, Mm -hmm. so people don't know that they can do this and set these boundaries and stuff like that. So that's how they kind of get in trouble. What's the most interesting experience you've had to date with with a tenant? Because uh, I've I've heard some stories now, just Uh, in general. Yeah, probably um, this biggest fire that I ever had in my life. It was over a hundred thousand dollars. It was in a a quad, and um, the guy who I put in there, he he said he's a handy guy. (laughs) I fix things. I'll do that. And what he did was he put a wire in my house panel, my electrical panel, and he ran an extension cord throughout his whole apartment. Mm. Um, So this was back when when Philly was putting gas liens on the property. So if a tenant didn't pay their gas bill, uh, the landlord was responsible for it. And so what we did as landlords, we made everything electric. Mm. And when we made everything electric, it made the tenant's bills high and they started stealing electric. So gotcha. it, it resulted into things like this. So he took this this um, extension cord, hooked it into my house panel, ran it all throughout this house, had everything hooked up, TVs, air conditioners, everything caused a huge fire. Crazy. $100,000 worth of damage. Wait, the um, whole property was... So, because, you know, it was... I, I renovated it. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, we put fire things in, in, in place, like, you know, one hour one hour um, sheetrock. You have to put foam. So there's a lot of protections in place so that, you know, the house doesn't, you know, burn down to the ground. So fortunately, it was only his place that was torched. And this was in the middle of the night. It it caught fire at 2 o'clock in the morning. So everyone Crazy. was asleep. Yeah. And there's fire alarms. Um, there was no sprinkler system because it wasn't new construction. But, um, uh, yeah, so $100,000 worth of work. Um, he had this thing rigged up. And it wasn't the only fire that I had because of electric. So after I had two electrical fires because people were doing illegal stuff, I stopped doing electrical stuff. And I went, I went back to gas because it, it wasn't worth it. So I think that was one of the craziest things um, that I dealt with. And I, I had that issue when I was pregnant, when I was doing five triplexes at once. And it was like, it was like the straw. <laughs> the broke the yes, but... But, but so the insurance claim. So whenever you do an insurance claim, they give you so much money. Okay. Yeah. So what I didn't know was, you know, because I manage my own projects, I'm saving a huge amount of not hiring a general contractor. I work directly with all the subs. So mm-hmm. there is no markup. And when an insurance company gives you their estimate, they're giving you the markup that the GC charges. So I got $120,000 from the insurance company. And I think it cost me like $40,000 to fix. Mm. Yeah. So the rest of that money. Uh, most of that money. No, it it went to those five triplexes I was working on. It, but but like it was a blessing in disguise. Go ahead, go ahead. Tuck that in your pocket. Yes, it it saved me. It was it was a blessing in disguise for sure. Wow. And I've had two other fires since then, and they always give you a ton of money. I never get a what they call it, a public adjuster. The the insurance person they want to make sure you get what you want. You know, you can call them later and say, hey, this costs more money. They'll give you more money. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So that, that's that's one of the more that's one of the toughest experiences or worst experiences you had with a tenant, right? That was over here trying to be handyman, uh, handyman yes. Harry, right? Yeah. <laughs> what what's the most amount of money you've ever lost on a deal? So that's the thing. Um, <laughs> I wish I wish you would come in here and say that you've never lost you've never lost money on a deal. So you got to be uh, be honest. Be right, honest. right, right. Okay, so uh, the only the only projects I've lost money on is is the COVID projects. Okay. Because I lost my contractor. Um, I, I was home with my kids. I had a, a six-month-old, um, mm. and I had a three and a, I forget how old she was, but it was all young kids. So mm. they all came home. So I could not manage my projects. Gotcha. I could not run a tight ship like I do. I didn't have my contractor. So I lost, I did not make as much as I would have. Mm. So um, my hard money loan, your hard money loans are, are nine months to a year. I went over that. I had to pay a $22,000 fee. 
Because I was, yeah, it was, it was painful. And oh. I was, I almost had to pay it again. But I got my act together. I was like, you know what? Um, <laughs> and but by then, the daycare had opened back up. So I got them back in and I was able to finish the project. So I did not lose money because two years later, 2022, when I refinanced, when I first bought it, they had an ARV of 400000 mm. And when I refinanced 20, in 2022, they appraised for 600000 So I still didn't lose money, even though I spent more than I would have. And going through contractors, I lost my main one. More money in interest, more money in fees. I still made money. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and, and I tell people, because I'm type A, I'm on top of things. I'm on top of things. I follow with people. I'm like, hey, where you been? You've been on the job site in three days. Um, I get my paperwork together. As soon as, like, the inside is done, I'm filling in my, my I put in my refinance application. And I might be painting the outside, like, the day before the appraiser comes. So I run really tight ships. So I, I don't really lose money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know, I know. People say everyone loses money. I was like, oh, oh, oh. crossing your T's and dotting your I's yeah. and staying on top of it. Got yeah. you, got mm-hmm. you, got you, got you. To take things to to kind of take things a step further. Um, obviously, you're a black woman, mom, coming from the STEM field, and now having the success that you have in real estate. I'm curious to know from when you started your journey up until now, because like I said, you've, you've built a really great, great following for yourself. You've taught a lot of individuals. You've worked with a lot of individuals. Do you find that a lot of the individuals that are you're getting connected with or that are just reaching out to you and just trying to learn more about real estate um, also are black women that are coming from STEM fields uh, as well? Yeah, so um, I don't know what it is, but yeah, I'm, I'm attracted to women who are just like me. I have a lot of engineers, accountants, um, attorneys that are in my program and we're very meticulous we're all very type a and um perfectionist too and a lot mm-hmm. of time i gotta stop them like i'm like all right why are you still looking for more quotes you got three pick one mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes they're like still in the planning phase too long they might get caught up in um making a you know what what happens um you get caught up in making a project perfect during a renovation mm-hmm. it's like you don't know when to stop i'm like listen stop call section eight get an inspection done and then that's your punch list so um Yes, a lot of us are detail detail oriented. Um, mm-hmm. We want to be home with our kids. Um, we want to have that time freedom, um, and we are good at just like you know putting projects together and having a vision and making things happen. But yeah, and that's what the reason why I asked that is because you know listening to your story and seeing how you you know tr- made that transition into real estate. Um, I think at the time you said when you were going into real estate. Did you already have children? I think you said you were eight no. years into your You didn't have children yet. Got you. Okay, got you. But even still, you know, having that job that you have, I feel like a lot of times um, whenever people are thinking about making that transition, whether it be to real estate or just entrepreneurship as a whole, there's that like that mental block of like, well, if I leave my job, what if this? What if that? What yeah. if the case be, whatever the case may be. And I'm curious to know, have you had that conversation with a lot of women that look like you that are coming from fields like STEM or who are in accounting or just have really solid careers? Yeah have felt like they hit that glass ceiling and know that they want a lot more. They want that time freedom that you've talked about. They want to just do more and become more. What are, what are those conversations like? Because you know, the mental aspect of that transition is huge, right? And most people aren't able to get past it. Like you and some of the other people that you've worked with. Can you talk a little bit about that? So when I was going to quit, everyone was like, no, don't lose your government job, your benefits, your pension, your this and your that. And I'm like, so I did all the research to look. I looked at how much insurance was going to cost me. It would cost me $300 a month. I looked up. I did, The pension didn't bother me because I was going to have rental income. Um, I looked up how much life insurance was going to cost me. Like, I looked up everything. So I was like, you know what? I can pay these benefits myself. One property will pay these benefits. So the benefits isn't a huge thing. But, you know, that check every two weeks you really get used to it it's like it took me a while to not miss it mm-hmm. um so i think that's the main thing that you miss that security and mm-hmm. just knowing that you'll get paid no matter what so but when you become an entrepreneur um it's all on you yeah if you don't get up and do something you're not gonna get paid Facts. but i think the next best thing is i'm still relying on the government okay i'm still relying on that government money so even though i'm an entrepreneur and they're risky I still like security, so that is why I went to Section 8 because, like I said, it still feels secure to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just got to trust yourself mm. and, um, I don't know, get with some other government contracts or something. Just, just, <laughs> <laughs> just As long as you rely on the government somehow, um, I, I think you can have, still have that security. But my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and I loved having her around. She mm. was at all my track meets. Um, 
everything, field trips. And so it made me want that same lifestyle. But when um, my dad got on drugs, and he was considered a good man. He was the first in his family to go to college. He was an occupational therapist. We were considered like a middle-class family. He was making $80,000 in the 80s. I asked him because I was always in the money. We had a, a nice house in the suburbs, had a big backyard. And so he wasn't even, he wasn't even like a bad boy. Mm-hmm. Like he was someone who she thought she could trust forever mm-hmm. and not have to worry about these things. But um, when he would go back to his friends, they are the ones who got him on drugs. So um, when this whole thing happened, um, I still wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. But I still want to have my own money. And mm. so um, I felt that security with real estate and with Section 8. So now fast forward, fast forwarding years later, once again, getting to the point that you're at now and having the success that you've had for women that are looking at you and are like, I don't know how she did whatever she did, but I want to get there mm-hmm. and are kind of at that place where they feel like they're stuck and they want to take that next step. Yeah. What are you saying to women like that that look like you, talk like you, and want to be where you are but just don't know how to kind of break through that glass ceiling and get there? Yeah, a lot of it is um, unlearning what you have been taught in personal finance. So um, if if they're my age, like in their 40s, they've probably been putting a ton of money in their 401k, Mm. um, a lot of money in their Roth IRA, and they don't want to take it out. So I'm like, um, <laughs> take that money out and right. buy some property. So my my one, I have a, a lot of superstars that I teach. She's a mechanical engineer. Um, and once I taught her, like, it's okay to take the money out of your 401k and buy a property. You can make money right now. Mm-hmm. So she did. She took money out. She bought a six unit. She bought 11 doors in one year. 11 and, doors? Yes. And, re- and replaced her income all because she just had to break free of putting money in your in your retirement so if you're established if you're in your 40s and you have money in retirement you can take that money out right now start making money and rely on your properties to pay you in retirement once 20 years go by if you don't want to do a listing where you can sell them sell them and live off of that cash and probably Mm -hmm. still more than what's in your 401k so you just have to break free of traditional personal finance rules use debt as leverage um not not put money in a 401k and trust in yourself and invest in real estate or any other business. There you go. Yeah. That's it. Can't, can't, <laughs> can't close it out any better. I know we, I know we have to, of course, get you out of here, but at the same time, you did provide a lot of value today. And I know of course you have a challenge coming up, right? Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, this challenge is a unique opportunity where I am teaching you the same thing I teach my students in one week. So the mm. first day we teach you the, 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 the funding. We teach you where to get the money from the banks, how to make your applications, how to get 100000 200000 so you can start investing. The next day, we show you how to use PropStream or Deal Machine to get these properties off market. Mm. And then we just go through the whole process. Every day, we teach you something so that you can get started. And we give you homework so you can have process right now. We give you banks to apply for that night so you can get cash. Oh. We give you, um, you can sign up for a, a trial with Deal Machine and get addresses and phone numbers and owners right then and there and start calling people there. We tell you to like, go through your phone. There's probably people in your phone who have no phone number to sell a house and you offer them a price we tell you you know h- how to offer it how to do the ARV we teach you all those things all in one week mm-hmm. so that you can get started and and kind of learn how easy it is for got you to get started yeah got you beautiful beautiful what's the name what's the name of the challenge she builds she profits come on now. it's she, for men too though but yeah yeah she so, builds, so, she so guys can tap in but <laughs> yes. you know ideally most is most likely going to be just a lot of women that are also trying to get in this yep, space as well yep, mm-hmm. got you beautiful beautiful okay fantastic well i'm i'm tapping in ladies and gentlemen. I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm definitely tapping in and for those who are listening to the episode talk a little bit about where they can go ahead and find you as well on uh, all social media platforms so um my main platform is instagram but i'm also on linkedin and tiktok and mm-hmm. i um i talk about my journeys every day and my my contract and my tenant issues then i also teach a lot there too so um if you're on a budget or you're in school to have the money you can get a ton of free information right on my instagram there you go there you go mr no wilson thank you so much for coming through thank you for having me and thank you to you for tuning into this episode and showing this episode some love if you haven't done it already what are you doing listen take a second take a minute take an hour out of your day right here right now just go ahead and slap that like button and show this video some love make sure you check out mr no wilson and also check out the 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 digital challenge challenge she builds she profits yeah come on now i'm I'm right there on the money with it i'm right there (laughs) on the money with it As always, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you and your time. I know that you guys received a lot of value. So make sure you guys tap into the challenge. And as always, I am Marvin Francois. This is Ms. Janelle Wilson. Y'all have been good. We've been great. This has been amazing. And as always, thank you and God bless. Peace.